You know, one of the great things, as I was just mentioning with the kids, one of the great things about the new year and the idea of new year, a new year, is this kind of fresh hope, this, this fresh sense of a new beginning and new starts. And we have these visions and dreams of what we hope the new year will be. It's that time when we make those New Year's resolutions. Maybe you don't make resolutions per se. You don't write them down. But we all have these new hopes and dreams of, okay, this is what I'd like to do in 2023. This is what I'd like to do better in 2023. This is what I'd like to maybe stop doing in 2023. We all have these visions and hopes and dreams of what we would like to do, these big plans that things are going to be different, things are going to be better. We feel like we've got a fresh outlook on things, fresh outlook on life. And we start the year off strong. Maybe some of you have resolutions. I shudder to ask how many of you have broken any of your resolutions already. It's the eighth day in, but uh, we start off strong, and then what happens? Life happens, right? And it doesn't take long for life and all that comes with it to kick in, and we start to fall back into old patterns, and soon we often feel just as overwhelmed after the new year, even though we have all these hopes and dreams as we did before the new year. And all those things that we wanted to do or we wanted to stop doing, we wanted to begin, we wanted to do better. Now it's like, well, how in the world am I going to get all of this done? Just too many things to do and not enough time to do them. And maybe we can relate to this van. Overstuffed, overloaded, and our rear end is dragging a little bit. Maybe you can relate. Sometimes life is like that, right? Sometimes life is a lot like that. And maybe you feel that way. You feel overloaded, overstuffed, and your rear end's dragging a little bit, even at the beginning of this year. And you are exhausted. Here's what I know. You are not alone. We are not alone in this. Harvard uh, Business School says that they did a... uh, survey, they did a study, and they they found that seven out of ten people surveyed say that their life was characterized as either busy or very busy. Now, if you're like me, I didn't need Harvard Business School to tell me that, because pretty much like ten out of the last ten people that I've asked, hey, how you doing, say something along the lines of, I'm doing good, but I'm busy. I'm busy. And so it's not hard to see why A lot of times in our lives and in our hearts, there's a disconnect when we read Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11, where he says this to us who are busy. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. It's like he knows something about us. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That sounds good, doesn't it? In the midst of being overstuffed and overloaded and our rear ends dragging a little bit, some rest sounds pretty good. And what Jesus is doing, among other things, is I think he's offering us an alternative way, a a different way of life. As I said at the beginning, one of the things that we love about the new year is the idea of fresh starts 
But what Jesus is offering is for us to start fresh, to start rested. That's why the title of today's lesson is not fresh start, like you might expect at the beginning of a new year, but to start fresh. Because in this exhausting world, Jesus isn't just offering the opportunity to, to a fresh start, but he is offering us the opportunity to start fresh in him. And what better place to start fresh than to start with God's word at the very beginning? Genesis chapter 1 says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and he called the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And so goes day two and day three and day four and day five. God created, he saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning. And then day six, it says this in verse 27. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Then verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. If you read Genesis chapter one, the account of the creation of the world, it's, it's actually written in the form of, of a poem. And as you read it, you can, if you read through it, and you're welcome to do that now if you want to, um, but after services sometimes, you, you read it, and it's, it's, you can see the repetition of it. You can see the poetry in it. God created. He saw that it was good. There was evening, and there was morning. There was evening, and there was morning. Did you notice anything different about that pattern? There's evening and then there's morning. Honestly, I didn't see it until I heard someone point it out for me. There was evening and there was morning. I say that because that's not how our day typically works, right? When did you start your day? When you woke up this morning, right? For us, there is morning and then there is evening. The first thing we do when we get up during the day, we turn our alarm clock off. Maybe if you're like me, you turn it off more than one time. We won't get into how many times, but you turn it off at least one time and stumble out of bed. You take your shower, you eat breakfast, put on our clothes. We go to work or we go to school or we go to do whatever errands or tasks are set before us for the day. There's morning and then there's evening. And that's how our day works. We get up we go to work, and when we finish our work, then that's the end of the day where we rest. And that's how our day works. There's morning, and then there's evening. But I find it interesting, that's not what God says. From the very beginning, that's not how he starts off the rhythm. He says that there is evening, and then there's morning. And part of what I think God is doing is he's introducing a new alternative rhythm for our lives, a rhythm that does not start with work, but rather a rhythm that starts with rest. Genesis, if you know, was written by a man named Moses, written by God, written down by Moses. And Moses was uh, born into the house of Pharaoh, ultimately, and, and raised there. He ended up coming out of that when he killed a, an Egyptian uh, slave uh, master and ended up fleeing, and then ultimately God calls him back to go to his people, to go back to Egypt and to rescue his 
children, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt, or uh, yes, from the land of Egypt and from their slavery there. And so the very first people, Moses goes back. And when you think about that, the very first people who would have, now this story's been passed down, but the very first people who had access to read what Moses had written down in this account of Genesis would have been these Israelites. And they were either enslaved in Egypt or they were wandering around in the wilderness just after leaving slavery. And what did their lives look like as slaves? Well, they literally built the empire that enslaved them. They helped them make the roads that the Egyptian armies traveled on. They helped build the monuments that declared Pharaoh's greatness. Of course, in all actuality, they really didn't build anything great on a day-to-day basis. You know what they actually did? They did mostly build bricks. That's really what they did. They built bricks that ultimately built the empire, but they built bricks, brick by brick by brick. You worked sun up to sundown, and if you're a slave, what's the only question that really matters in your life? When your Egyptian slave master comes to you and says, how many bricks did you make today? How many bricks did you make today? And in Genesis chapter 1, God has a different message for his people, the Israelite people. And his message, among other things, is, I am not Pharaoh. I am different, and your life is going to be different. Your life is not the life of a slave. It's going to be different because I have a different rhythm for you to live. Because your value is not in what you do. It is not in how many bricks you make because your day will start not when the sun rises. Your day will start with rest because your value comes from what I say and what I have done. And in Genesis chapter 1, God looks upon his people and he says, I created you, I looked upon you, and before you'd done anything, before you'd made even one brick, I said not just that you were good, but that you were very good. And you were created in my image. And so what God says is, I have a different rhythm for you to live as my people. And it doesn't start with work, it starts with rest. Why? Because to rest is to trust that what God has done is enough. To rest is to trust that what God has done is enough. Of course, aren't you glad that thousands of years later, our lives don't look like that? Aren't you glad that we don't make bricks for Pharaoh? Aren't you glad that through our, all of our technological advances, through all of our social progression, that our world is different? Aren't you glad that we don't go to our phones to check our emails just in case our boss has emailed us something so that we can catch up on work, just so we can make one more brick? Aren't you glad that we don't go to social media and see how many likes we have to tell us how important and valued we are? Aren't you glad that we don't constantly evaluate ourselves and others by external features like how we look and the clothes that we wear and the cars that we drive? Aren't you so glad that we don't measure ourselves by the title we have or the amount of money that we make? Aren't you glad that we don't get our value by how many things we cross off our to-do list validating whether it was a good day or not? And just in case you haven't, you know, kept up on my sarcasm so far, one more for you. Aren't you glad that often the first question we ask a person that we meet isn't, isn't, right? We don't do this, right? Nice to meet you, Tom, Fred, Janice, whatever your name is, what do you do? What do you do for a living? 
How many bricks you make? Aren't you glad we don't do those things? And here's the problem with that, among other things. It's exhausting, isn't it? And we wonder why we're overloaded and overpacked and our rear ends dragging a little bit, even at the beginning of this new year. And the crazy thing, here's the craziest thing of all, perhaps. We don't have Pharaoh doing it to us. You know who does it to us? We do. And brick by brick by brick, the load gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And yet Jesus says to us, I have a better way to live. And the better way is we're going to put down our bricks. One by one by one. And we're going to start fresh. We're going to start our day with rest. Because to rest is to trust that what God has done is already enough. And when we do that, we don't have to try to win or to gain or to obtain something that's already been freely given to us. You see, when we live by this brick mentality, it's all about us. And we got to try harder and we got to try harder. And for what? To find value, to find significance, to find meaning, to find purpose. And it makes me wonder how many of us, how many of you sitting here today are trying so hard to win, to earn something that has already been freely given to you? Maybe not in the way that you think it has, but it's already been offered to you to find your value, significance, purpose in something bigger than yourself. In, in Matthew chapter 3, there's a beautiful story of Jesus and God the Father and, and just this connection and Matthew writes this starting in verse 16 of, of Matthew chapter 3. He says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, there are three times that God the Father speaks audibly to God the Son, Jesus. So those are probably things that we should pay attention to, right? Um, And they stand out because there's only three of them. Here's the other thing, though, that that makes this even more significant to me. It's where we find this story in relation to Jesus' life. It's the first story we read about him as an adult. Before he ever starts his ministry, before he ever walks down the path of what he has come to this earth to do. You have God the Father saying to God the Son, you are my Son, whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. God says, I delight in you before Jesus had done anything. Why? Because God loved him. Not God loved him because, but because God loved him. And if you are in Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the same is true for you. Psalm chapter 147, verse 11 says, The Lord delights in those who fear him. I love that phrase. He delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Psalm 149, verse 4 says, For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. God delights in you. God loves you. Not he loves you because, 
but because he loves you. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And listen to this language. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. So here's what that means. One of the things that means. God's to-done list is more important than your to-do list. God's to-done list is more important than your to-do list, whatever that may be, today, tomorrow, this week. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, here's what God has done for you. Before you ever get out of bed in the morning, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, here's what he's done for you. He created you. He loves you. He sent his son into this world to die for you, to go to a cross to die for you, to pay a penalty that you could not pay. He redeemed you. He adopted you. He gives you his spirit to comfort you and guide you. He has gifted you. He has blessed you. He goes before you. He is with you. He has prepared a place for you for all eternity. Shall I go on? God loves you. And his to-done list is more important than your to-do list. That's what he's done for you. Which means maybe, just maybe, because of God's to-done list, we can put down our bricks, put down our to-do list, even just for a moment, and rest, trusting that what he has done is enough before we've done anything. God says, I have a different rhythm for your life. And it's not a rhythm that starts with work. It's a rhythm that starts with rest. Why? Because I want you, my people, to know that before you ever get out of bed in the morning, before you have done anything, I've already done enough for you. His to-done list is more important than your to-do list. Now, just to be clear, in case you are hearing things that I'm not saying, this is not an anti-work message, okay? I'm not going to go into all the details of that, but this is not an anti-work message. That's not what I'm saying, so don't hear that. Rather, it is to say excuse me, that God offers a different rhythm for our lives. If we are his children, he offers a different rhythm for our lives. And it starts in the evening, but then it goes into the morning. It starts with rest, but then it goes into work. Rest is what prepares us to work. He created us for work. He gifted us with work and with the skills to be able to work. And he has called us to work. It's not an anti-work message. Sometimes we think that Work and rest are opposites and they don't go together. No, they, they go together. It's just that when we go to work, and when I say work, I don't mean just your occupation or just that thing you get a paycheck to do. That is but one part of your work and what you are doing. And if you don't have that, you still are working in other areas, or at least you ought to be. And so when we go to work in the morning, we go not as people who are simply working. We don't live our lives for that work. We don't live our lives as trying to earn someone's approval. We don't live our lives and work as though we are trying to prove ourselves that we have value. But rather, we go to work working from God's approval, from his rest, 
So what does that look like? Because <clears throat> I want to be practical. There's a part of me, I, I, I'm going to give you this because I, I still want to be practical. But there's also part of this, we have to wrestle with this some. Like, you know, it's good to wrestle with Scripture. It's good to wrestle with God in a way that we still recognize He is God, but just kind of letting our spirits deal with some of this. So, but what does it look like? I do want to give you some practical stuff because I try to be as practical as I can. What does it look like to live out of this different rhythm that God has called us to and to be able to start fresh? And maybe a better question is, what, what is rest? What, what is rest? And I think for most of us, we have a very, defi- uh, very um, finite or narrow de- definition of rest. And I think for a lot of us, for most of us, when I think of rest, when you think of rest, you think it's about me. I got I to gotta find rest for me, right? But rest really isn't meant to be about me. It is. It's a byproduct of that. But rest really, from a biblical perspective, is about God. Rest, from a biblical perspective, is meant to refocus our hearts and our minds on the goodness of God. That is the purpose of rest. Not for you to sneak in a nap. Not for you to get away. That's, you may, those may be part of it. But rest is meant to focus you on the goodness of God. In Genesis, it says that on day seven, God rested. Because obviously he was incredibly tired from doing all of that creating. No, that's not why he rested. To start this rhythm, right? And so on day six, he looks at his creation, all that he has created, it's good. And then on day seven, he rested and enjoyed the goodness of his creation. And so for us to rest, in essence, is meant for us to take some time to slow down and focus on the goodness of God. And so while rest certainly can be sleep, and some of you are like, amen, thank you. Rest can be sleep, and that's an important part of our rest. It's not just sleep. By the way, um, I read something that was really profound when talking about sleep. When you think about it, sleep is actually one of the most, um, it, one of the biggest acts of surrender that you can do. Think, think about how vulnerable you are. Maybe you shouldn't. You'll probably never go to sleep again. But think about how vulnerable you are when you sleep. You lay your head down you close your eyes, and you trust. You trust. You just trust. Sleep is an incredible act of surrender when you start thinking about it. And I, my guess is that you might sleep a little bit better if you started thinking about it more like that in terms of surrendering that time to God. But rest is bigger than just sleep because, again, rest is meant to refocus our hearts and our minds on the goodness of God. And so rest can be a worship song that reorients us and brings our hearts back to focusing on the goodness of God. Rest can be some prayer time where I'm spending time with God, allowing him to speak to my spirit. Rest can be diving into God's word, spending time with him there, communing with him there. Rest can also be a good meal with people that we love, sharing that time together. Rest can be laughing with friends. Rest can be a walk in the outdoors, just soaking in the beauty of God's creation. When I put the screen up, there was a background of the night sky, and Lauren walked in. It makes me rest can be going out at night and looking up at the stars and just appreciating the vastness of creation, God's goodness, God's majesty. Rest can be taking a much needed vacation and getting some time away. Rest can be spending some quality time with your kids 
reminding yourselves that they are a blessing. Let me say that again. Reminding yourself that they are a blessing. Let me say that again. Reminding yourself that they are a blessing. Rest can be going on a date with your spouse. Spending that quality time to reconnect. Now again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that if you do those things that you are inherently resting and focusing on the goodness of God. We have all done those things without any purview of God in our minds and our hearts. But what I am saying is that we can use those things and they can be rest and they are meant to be rest. You know why? Because our God created those things. He created us for relationship. He gave us his creation to enjoy and to soak in the goodness of who he is. In fact, Psalms talks about the heavens declare the glory of God. You look up and you see that. You look around at creation and you can't help but glory and majesty in those things and what God has done and his goodness. It's meant to spark that in us. Does, we can do those things and not. But we also can recognize that those things are meant to be periods and times where we rest. Not in the ways that we typically think of rest, laying down our heads and closing our eyes, but to rest in who God is and what he has done for us and his goodness and his majesty. And so what I am saying is those things can be rest when we focus them and our hearts on the goodness of our God. And so God has called us to this different rhythm of, of life and, and starting with rest. So how do we do that? Well, it's not in your notes, but I do. I'll just give you three. And um, just some of the examples we find in Scripture. Uh, I'm not going to give you specific examples, but just these patterns of rest. So there's, there's basically three kind of ideals as we look through Scripture. And so there's a, there's, for one, there's a daily rhythm of rest, right? And so there's just this, every day we, we seek out that time to, to start with rest. That every day we, we have a daily rhythm. We find, no, that's not a good way of saying it. We don't find it. If, you, if you're looking for it, you will not find it. You know what you have to do? You have to make it. You have to make it. Where we make time to rest. So maybe for you, it's opening God's word before you go to bed. Maybe it's opening God's word the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up. Maybe it's sitting down to dinner and having some meaningful, in-depth conversations with those that you are sitting with. Not the mind-numbing stuff that we talk about, the worldly stuff that we just so often dominates our conversation, but something of substance. Like something that, that grows us closer to who God wants us to be and grows us closer to each other. Maybe rest is walking the dog like you always do. Or I don't, you can't walk a cat. You can walk a cat if you want to. Um, but you're spending that time in prayer. You're taking that time, whatever it is that you're doing, to spend that time in prayer. Whatever it may be, it's reminding yourself of who God is and why you can put your trust in him that he's already done enough. He's already done enough. No matter how many things on your to-do list you cross off, he's already done enough because you're not gonna get to them all anyways. You're not. And so there's a daily rhythm of rest as followers of, of, of Jesus. But there's, there's also a weekly rhythm of rest. In the Old Testament, they call it the Sabbath from sundown on Friday to uh, sunup, or sundown on Friday to sundown on, on uh, Saturday. And it was just this extended period of time, and I'm, I'm not trying to draw any correlations. We're not talking about Sabbath uh, in that way. But it was just an intended, extended period of time to slow down and enjoy the goodness of God, to rest, to refresh, to worship. I don't think it's a coincidence 
that we meet together on the first day of every week. I think that's a, some of you have heard me say this before. What we do here, this is the easiest part of being a Christian that you will do. Like, have you read this? This is hard. This is easy. This is easy. Now, it requires some time. It requires some effort. It requires some commitment. But this is the easiest part of what we do, gathering to worship and, and making time to worship God. This is the easiest thing that we do. But I don't find it coincidental that we do it because we need that time to refocus our hearts, to refocus our minds, to come together and worship together. It is one of the easiest and best ways for us to establish the rhythm of rest in our lives as we do those things, as we come together to worship and to be reminded of the goodness of God. And so we have a daily rhythm. We have a weekly rhythm. We also have a seasonal rhythm. That's a little bit different. It's gonna, uh, not trying to draw correlations um, or uh, you know, specifics here. Um, we usually talk about things more on Wednesday nights. You're welcome to come and you're welcome to ask me questions afterwards. But I'll simply say this. I think there are times where we need some seasonal times to step away and to rest. Maybe it's a vacation. In the Old Testament, they had, if you read through, God set up many feasts and festivals for the people to stop and rest. That wasn't stop and sleep. Stop and rest in the goodness of God. Recognize the goodness of God. Worship majesty in the goodness of God. Maybe it's a vacation. Maybe it's, I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I think those are good things that, you know, working those things into it to make sure that we take those times to rest. Daily and weekly, I think, are absolutely necessary. Seasonal are necessary too, but it's harder to get those seasonal times. But it's just good to find those seasons to rest and enjoy God's goodness. That's more of what I'm trying to say. And listen, sometimes life is going to be busy. I get that. You'll probably say all the time, life is going to be busy. And that's okay. As long as we start with rest and putting our trust in the fact that God has already done enough for us. Here's the thing. Lord willing, we are all going to go down the road of 2023. The question is, the question we get to start our, not just our our year with, we get to start every day with this question. How am I going to start? How am I going to start? Not just a new year. Every single day, how am I going to start? Am I going to start exhausted and worn out because I am trying so hard to make all the bricks I can make? Or am I going to start fresh, resting and trusting in the truth that what God has done for me is already enough? Am I going to have, are you going to have a spirit of someone who is trying really, really hard or someone who is trusting really, really big? You see, what Jesus is saying when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, he is giving us an invitation. And certainly, ultimately, we will enjoy that rest for those of us who are in Christ in eternity, but there is rest to be found here and now. An invitation to a different rhythm of life when we follow him, a rhythm that does not start with work, but it starts with rest. A rhythm of life that reminds us of who we are in him. 
and what he's done for us. He's given us an invitation, not just to a fresh start this year, but to start fresh. And to all those who are overloaded and overpacked and our rear ends are dragging a little bit, that sounds like good news to me.